Today's podcast is brought to us by March of Dimes. Friends, did you know that the March of Dimes is the leader in the fight for health of all moms and babies? They support research, lead programs, and provide education and advocacy so that every baby can have the best possible start. Building on a successful 80-year legacy of impact and innovation, March of Dimes empowers every mom and every family. And in March 2020, March of Dimes is observing National Birth Defects Prevention Month. For more information, visit marchofdimes.org slash parenting great kids. That's marchofdimes.org slash parenting great kids. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 102, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. We have a great show today. It's a very special podcast. March is National Birth Defects Prevention Month, and so I thought it would be appropriate to bring a mom on the show who has a child with a birth defect. Her name is Stacy Mandel. Stacy was a teacher for 14 years. She's a mom, and now she's a mindfulness coach. So she's a multi-talented woman, a very articulate woman, and I know you're going to love what she has to say about life with her daughter, Maxie. As always, I'm going to share some points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And parents, as a reminder, don't just download the episodes, click subscribe, because then you will join my parenting revolution and each new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. Also, we're on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 102. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Stacy Mandel. I know you're going to love it. Well, Stacy, thanks so much for coming and joining me on my podcast. It's my pleasure, and thanks for the invitation. You have a remarkable story. You have two daughters, and your oldest daughter was born at 26 or 27 weeks, very prematurely, went into the NICU, and... Um, did you notice at that time that she had anything wrong? Like, did you look at her and go, oh, there's a birth defect there? Well, I did, but nobody else did. So she was born uh, really prematurely. And because of that, um, well, I'll just say, I thought that something looked wrong with her mouth. It looked uh-huh. wrong to me in the corners, like, like kind of like a clown's mouth. And nobody else really saw that. So the neonatologist thought that she was just really premature and, Premature babies kind of look like aliens, <laughs> oh, and, um, you know, like she didn't have nipples yet, that kind of thing. So they said, you know, give it a year and, you know, we don't really see anything out of the, out of the, out of the ordinary. And when I took her to our pediatrician, he pretty much said the same thing. You know, when we finally came out of the NICU, he said, she'll, she'll grow into it. Um, and I said, well, I, I just feel like something's just not right. And she had a lot of um, feeding issues when she mm-hmm. was in the NICU. And she did much better when she was finally able to breastfeed all the time. 
And that was because the nipple was, you know, she was making a better seal around the breast and the nipple. It was fitting all the contours of her mouth better. Yeah. So we didn't have to use a lot of force to kind of contort her face to get her to have a good seal. So that was in the back of my mind also. So I Uh come back and the pediatrician said, if you really want to take her to someone, you know, here's, here's the name of a couple people, take her. And I did. He told you to take her to Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, correct? Close. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Sorry, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Yeah, it's a renowned hospital, and I took head of reconstructive surgery there. Okay. And And what was her diagnosis? Yeah, so he said um, that she had bilateral clefting, which means that she didn't have cleft palate. So there was no way for anybody to see. There was nothing wrong with her palate. So everything developed normally um, on the inside, but the sides of her mouth were definitely not fused closed enough. And he actually said that it was great that I had come when I did. If I had waited a year, um, it wouldn't have been great. The optimal time to do this is at about six months, um, which is when she had the surgery. And that's because, you know, the more mobile they are, the more they fall down and can do more damage. Um, they can pull out stitches, you know, and, and things along those lines. And also the healing is much better, you know, the younger the face is. Yeah. I, I think what's important for our listeners to hear is that when she was very young, really from the get-go, and you noticed her mouth is big, she's not sucking well, she's not latching on, that you as a mom knew something was wrong, but people weren't hearing you. Your pediatrician didn't. Um, and you talked to doctors in the NICU too, I assume. And they all said, oh, just wait, just wait, it'll get better. But in your gut, as a mom, you knew that wasn't right. So good for you for getting to chop and getting getting um, a specialist visit. Yeah, um, I think that we all have uh, parents. We have uh, a very primitive, you know, instinctual um, capacity to take care of our children. And when something is nagging at us, something is bothering us, and it's just not being addressed in a satisfactory way, it's important to listen to that way that we were designed, the way we were built, which is to really fight to protect and to take care of our babies. Yeah. Um, and to, to lean into that. When she had her surgery, was that scary for you? Um, not that much um, because going through 10 and a half weeks in the NICU was really very, very scary and stressful. And you have a, uh, you kind of have an out of control feeling the whole time because there are other people taking care of your baby and they're at their mercy. And that's an extended period of time. Yeah. The time I had her home and we were home for a few months and brought her back. Um, that was kind of small potatoes. Um, I also knew she was in amazing hands, the chief of the department at CHOP. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a long surgery, actually, uh, because it was such detailed work and it was on the face. So I was concerned really about how it would turn out. Um, she has little lightning bolt scars in the corners of, of both sides of her mouth um, that you have to look closely to see, but you can see them because she got the surgery really at the right time. That's it. Wow. Sure. She was going through it. Um, Did she have any feeding issues or speech issues after, after that? the surgery? It improved her feeding dramatically. 
Mm-hmm. I was nursing her all the time, but I was pumping. And so people were giving her bottles. You know, my parents were watching her. They give her a bottle, but it was very hard for her to feed. It was the same thing in the NICU. We had to squeeze her cheeks, pull down on her chin and try to make, help her make a good suction around the bottle. Otherwise half the milk would not get into her mouth. So immediately while she was still in the hospital with the surgery, it was immediately fixed. Wow. So that was very validating on the spot. Yeah, that must have felt really good. If we could back up just for a minute and talk about um, before she was born. You were in labor, you went into the hospital, and um, they they put you in Trendelenburg, which is basically, they tipped you upside down, kind of. Tell us, when you went in there, what happened? You, you said you're four centimeters dilated. Take us from that point. Yeah. So, um, this was my first pregnancy and I hadn't had any real, um, I hadn't any classes yet. I was signed up for like a basic, you know, one-on-one what to expect type of class about, you know, breastfeeding and, you know, labor and all that. I hadn't had any of that yet. And I just woke up one day and just wasn't feeling well. I was very crampy. Um, my lower back was really aching me. So I called friends I called family members to kind of complain and see what they thought. And they kind of commiserated and said, yeah, it could be like that at this point of the pregnancy. And, you know, talked about it more. I called my doctor at some point. Um, my doctor, you know, at that point wasn't concerned too much. She told me what signs to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have those signs yet. Um, I'm also somebody who tolerates pain really well. I kind of just thought this is painful, but this is just, it's not like pain, like labor pain. And I called my doctor a couple times. There were a couple, you know, one of those phone calls, at least I remember being in a very poor cell reception area. I was outside. I actually went to the gym that day and thought I needed. Oh, are you kidding me? No, I went to the gym. I thought if I moved. <laughs> there you go. Get on a spin bike while you're in labor and it'll take. <laughs> yeah, take I, actually think it was, uh, I think it was the, uh, the, the, what's that thing? That pre-core thing. The thing where you like stand up and you're pedaling. Oh, yeah, like an elliptical. Elliptical, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mothers, 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 take a listen. Mm-hmm. If, if you're having back pain and you're pregnant, don't go to the gym. Yeah, don't do what I did. So, no. <laughs> by the time I connected with my doctor and I'd seen some of those symptoms she had told me to look for, uh, I was four centimeters and her foot was already poking out of my cervix. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And it was, it was emergency time, rush over to the hospital. Yeah. So then they put you in a bed, they kind of of turned you upside down, and then what happened? And so they said, you know, you pretty much, it's over 90% uh, chances that you're going to deliver this week. So we're going to, you know, keep you on this intravenous drug to try to stop the contractions. We're going to keep you in this upside down positions because every day that you make it through this week, each day you're doing, you know, giving your baby an amazing gift of development. Yes. And every day is critical at that stage. So, um, we did that and, um, knowing that I was going to deliver that week, they also gave me surfactant shots. So that's a shot that you get in your womb Mm -hmm. to develop the baby's lungs. And they timed it exactly in a way where they were giving it to me, um, not too early. Um, and they were giving it to me not too late. Um, that there's a certain window of time that you want to have it in you before the baby's born where it's the most effective. And um, I'm very grateful for that because she was born without, you know, real lung complications. She needed extra oxygen through a CPAP mask, but that's pretty standard. 
and she didn't have brain bleeds at all, which is not a given and leads to a whole bunch of other complications. And that really has to do with oxygenation level. So that surfactant was really key. Yeah, it's a lifesaver. I mean, it really is. I uh, Early on in my career, I worked in the NICU and, and, and surfactant was just coming out. But honestly, you know, so many babies died. And then when surfactant came, it was huge. Now, she has lung complications today. I mean, well, tell us about her and, and how old she is and her breathing and everything today. Yeah, so the surfactant was miraculous in that... Um, she really had no lung complications, um, you know, as a NICU baby and for a while. Um, but the prematurity put, to put her at higher risk of um, contracting RSV, which is an influenza type of virus that can be deadly for preemies. So she had special uh, shots to prevent that that are very expensive that she qualified for because of her prematurity. Uh, but despite that, she she got it anyway. She was hospitalized at about a year old. And they say that is... Um, likely what caused her to develop what's called virus-induced asthma. So anytime she gets a cold, and this started, you know, again, when she was one and all through the preschool years, and she still has it today, but she gets a cold and it typically will go into her lungs and it sounds like she has severe lung disease. There's a ton of relentless coughing. When she was younger, she would vomit, you know, ER trips. We do the whole nebulizer and inhalers and all that. So she still has that, you know, we've been battling this winter in particular with some bad virus, um, some respiratory type viruses. Um, and she's also a singer. So she's a, a belter. She's a very emotional powerhouse type of singer. And the singing, it's kind of a, a catch 22 because she needs her vocal cords to be in good shape, which the coughing definitely swells her vocal cords and also contributes to acid reflux, which she's been being treated for for a long time to make her, her, keep her voice intact, but also the singing strengthens her lungs. So the asthma really benefits from her being a powerhouse singer. Well, and I just want to say, and I'm going to give you a chance to boast on her because she's an extraordinary young woman. She's 15. And she writes and sings her own music, correct? Correct. That's right. She, um, she's been musical ever since she was a, a, a wee little one. Um, we went to music, mommy and me music classes when she was an infant because I looked at the research um, on music in the brain and I wanted her to have it. So I took her and then she started piano at five. She started guitar at 10 and She's always been, I mean, we have pictures of her when she was two on a microphone. Um, and she's now today, you know, she's getting pretty well known in our Philly circles and she's releasing her first single called Rise this spring. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's written a ton of songs and she performs in festivals and um, has been talking with a couple producers about doing some films. And um, this is what she wants to do is be a full-time musician isn't it remarkable that her defect was in her mouth and, you know, and she got surfactant for her lungs. And those are the very things that are her gifts, that are her sweet spot that she's using in, in her life and that she enjoys. I, I, yeah. I just find that kind of remarkable. Yeah, it's pretty serendipitous. Um, exactly. That, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. 
yeah, these two little lightning bolts on either side of her mouth. And when she sings, it's like lightning. I mean, she doesn't just sing in a soft, pretty way. She can. That's her head voice. But she's a powerhouse. She She's a belter. She's got an amazing range. So, and then her name, Maxie Wyatt, you know, when I had to pick her name, I was unprepared. I didn't have a name because she was so early in the pregnancy. I had no idea yet. I didn't know if she was going to be a boy, girl. I knew I needed an M and a W to honor some deceased grandparents. Mm-hmm. Maxi, which means um, great in Latin, and Wyatt, which is French for little warrior. So you've got mm. warrior. Mm. And, you know, I think she has that name for a reason. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Stacy Mandel. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of our conversation. Friends, as a pediatrician, I strongly support March of Dimes because they help so many mothers and babies across the country. Did you know that March of Dimes is the leader in the fight for the health of all moms and babies? March of Dimes supports research, lead programs, and provide education and advocacy so that every baby can have the best possible start. Building on a successful 80-year legacy of impact and innovation, they empower every mom and every family. And in March 2020, they're observing National Birth Defects Prevention Month. For more information, please go to marchofdimes.org slash parenting great kids. That's marchofdimes.org slash parenting great kids and see how you can support or be involved in March of Dimes. You have advocated for Maxie since she was born, really. And I think it's important to point out to parents that, um, you know, right away when people told you, oh, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong, you push through that. And then, you know, she was born and you worked hard to to feed her and you got her the surgery. And then you were telling me that you got some services that she qualified for that a lot of parents with kids with birth defects and without birth defects don't know about. What what, what were those? Yes. So when I was in the NICU with her, um, it's standard procedure for OTs to come and do a bunch of tests and particularly cause she had feeding issues. Um, there was an OT who was checking in on her and the PT comes and checks them out. And then there's usually a, you know, a follow-up um, developmental um, therapy course. But I don't think I didn't know. And I don't think a lot of parents know that you, you can actually, because you're be either maybe with a, with a, with a birth defect, I'm not sure, but definitely with prematurity, um, that you can qualify for services, uh, early intervention services right out of the NICU, which is what we did. I mean, even though she was premature, when she came home from the NICU, she started the next week with um, with early intervention, and she needed it because she had some motor issues. Um, she needed orthotics. They could tell by the way her feet and hips were that she needed to wear these special little boots, um, you know, that you have to fit into special shoes. Um, and she qualified you know, for, for PT up until third grade, um, she didn't need it anymore. But I think a lot of parents maybe don't know, uh, that they should pursue services until there's already an obvious problem. Yes. Right. Um, so I just kind of, I think I was just so focused on 
what are all the things I can do? Am I doing everything um, that I can do? Not in a crazy way, but just kind of, it was just a very natural one thing kind of led to another. When I would be talking, for example, with a therapist in the NICU, I would want to know, well, what else can I do? Yeah. Um, And just really leaning into that. Yeah. And good for you for asking questions and pursuing that. I think it's it's really, really important. Now, I know that you support March of Dimes. I support March of Dimes. It's an incredibly important um, organization. Early on, they were involved with Maxie's Care. Um, can you tell us what they had to do with the surfactant? Well, I believe surfactant is an innovation um, of the March of Dimes. Uh, so that's their medical technology that we have access to thanks to the work of Mark of March of Dimes. Um, so that's pretty huge. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that is key. Um, and so, you know, we give back to the March of Dimes. We, you know, that year that she came home, we got involved with their big walk in our area and mm-hmm. do fundraising for them. Um, and we're really, we'll always be grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, really, the the work that they have done saved her life and has saved hundreds of thousands of children's lives um, over the, the years. I don't think parents who haven't had a, a premature baby understand how huge surfactant is because it really was a game changer in medicine and it allowed many, many, many preemies to survive that never would have survived 20 years ago. Absolutely. And even just this month being you know, um, birth defect awareness month or something along those lines. Am I correct? Uh, National birth defects prevention month. Yeah. So that's, I'm sure the work of the March of dimes and helping that to even exist. So even just like me sharing my story and us just putting attention on birth defects, that's how we innovate. The more we learn, the more we can problem solve. If you were having coffee with a mother who just had a premature baby 26, 27 weeks old in the NICU, what would you say to her? What What are her struggles going to be and how can she help herself? I would say to try to stay grounded, to take those breaths and pause and, and find some moments of quiet and stillness amongst the chaos so that you can hear your own voice um, clearly. And there are a lot of voices that are going to be in someone's head when they're going through this, any type of situation like this. Um, And to be able to hear what's really true for you. That's hard because uh, you're right, but I'm thinking it's very hard because during those weeks and months after your baby is born and they're so tiny, um, there's a lot of fear. Yes. We have twin granddaughters and, and they were born early and one was two pounds and one was four. But, but even as a grandmother, I, I just felt fear. And I don't know if it's because I know what could happen, the blindness and the brain bleeds and everything. And, and they both had surfactant. Thank you, March of Times. But did you struggle or wrestle with fear during those early months? Absolutely. Two hands in the air, two feet in the air. Yeah. Mm. And I would say that fear is also something to pay attention to because that's a primal emotion and fear exists for all mammals um, for a reason. It's to keep ourselves alive. And again, we're talking about there's nothing more primal than a parent 
child relationship. Oh yeah. So I felt that fear, but then being able to amidst the fear, find ways to be still and quiet. So you can let the, if there's hysteria or there's anxiety or obsession, um, you know, some of the offshoots of fear to let that settle a bit and just, and just be, so you can feel the fear, but then also let it propel you towards necessary action mm-hmm. instead of just trying to, you know, uh, you know, there's a boat and it's sinking and we're going to do everything in the world and this and that, and you know, this and plug that and put the sail up and haul this overboard and everything happening at the same time. That might not be helpful. You sound like a psychologist. You don't have your PhD in psychology, and do you? No. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, and, you know, you're, you're a school teacher for 14 years. You've, you're a mom. You're an advocate. Um, and now you're doing some incredible work with high-risk teenagers. Is that fair to say? With regard yeah. to exactly what you're talking about, mindfulness and teaching them to quiet themselves in the midst of chaos because many of these kids have chaotic lives. Yes. Fear, chaos, trauma. Um, yeah. So I teach mindfulness to youth um, ages, you know, preschool through young adult and to their caregivers. So I work with their teachers. I work with families. I work with parents, um, sometimes therapists, social workers, um, because I realize I didn't get this when I was a kid. I didn't understand um, mindfulness concepts um, explicitly. We all have mindfulness in us. We all have, it's, it's a way of being. It's not something that we like suddenly we, we get it. We all born with it, but we have things that happen to us, like, you know, a premature baby being born, or it could just be, um, you know, somebody didn't want to play with us at school. Uh, it really doesn't matter. But as humans, we're all, we're all pretty wired very similarly. Um, and we can remember what we have inside of us and how, and we can be, learn how to pay attention to it. And we can also be supported in practicing this way of being. And I thought um, I would have had a very different outcome. I would have suffered a lot less had I been exposed to mindfulness skills and been supported in practicing it in a way that was really doable. So I decided to leave um, my teaching position and to dedicate myself full time to sparking mindfulness in youth and their caregivers. I'm so glad you talked about that because I think that when you have a premature baby and we're constantly talking about the baby and helping the baby and and how to feed the baby and how to get surgery for the baby, there's so much pain that mothers are going through. And I think it's important to say to them, get yourself help if you need it. You know, this is a long haul. You you had months and months and months of helping Maxie get back on her feet. Um, and now we know she's very perfect. I want to listen to her song. How can we listen to her song, Risen, when it comes out? Thank you. Yes, her song is called Rise. Rise, I'm sorry. Rise, yep. And it'll come out this spring. Um, details coming forth. But in the meantime, she's on YouTube, Maxie Mandel with one L. And you can look up her channel and listen to Rise. There are a bunch of other songs on there. Not all of them, but Rise is on there, and it's the bare bones live version. So it will be with other instrumentation and fully produced harmonies and everything. I I really want our listeners to go and listen to that. And when you hear that, remember her story. Yeah, it's about rising over adversity. 
you know, and, and that it, it's so important. And the fact that this young little child, you know, so, so small, I don't know if anybody, everybody's seen a 27 week baby, but they're tiny, they're almost scary to hold. And that she could, you know, get her surfactant, and then she could get her surgery, and she could get her OTPT. And then she could move on with her life. And and here she is, you'd never know anything is wrong. And that's the incredible thing about modern medicine. Mm -hmm. And I and I bet a lot of her friends don't even know anything was wrong with her, do they? No, she's she's in a very, very, very competitive school. She's in honors classes. She's getting pretty much all A's. You know, she plays tennis. She's a singer-songwriter, plays guitar, piano. She's in the school play. She was doing crew last year. She does a lot of non... Actually, she does a lot of um, community service work with her music. She's got her fourth Maxie's Hot Chocolate House coming up this spring, where she organizes teens from around the Philadelphia area to perform in a concert. And all the money goes to a nonprofit called Live Connections um, in Philly, which gives music-making opportunities to underserved youth in public schools and people with disabilities. And she organizes that. This is going to be her fourth year coming up this year. I mean, none of this would be possible, and all of this is possible because we have the latest and greatest advancements in science. Yeah, exactly. I got to interview her. <laughs> I am just she listening to her. I would love to interview her because I'd love to hear things. Of course, she doesn't remember all the things that you're telling me, but I would love to interview her now knowing what we really know about her. Stacy, you know, you're an extraordinary mom, and I hope that every mom out there listening feels encouraged. Um, you know, that, that look, look how far kids can come when they're born so little. And as you said, modern technology and, you know, organizations like the March of Dimes who are coming in and really saving kids' lives and how so many things could have gone wrong, but they didn't. And, and, and I hope that they feel encouraged by your words and saying, you really don't have to be afraid. You can yeah. get through this. You're going to get through this. And I think that mothers, really, particularly young mothers, really need to hear that. How can people connect with you if they'd like to learn more about the work that you do? You have a great website. Tell them the name. Thank you. So it's bubblesandflashlights.com, plural, <laughs> bubblesandflashlights.com. Um, that's my mindfulness um, information. And I just wanted to add on to something you just said. I, I want to say that despite all the challenges, serious, hardcore challenges, we have a lot of power. And I, I hope that people feel empowered by the resources that are out there all the human beings who are here to support us and to just stay connected to that power. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think that there's so much right in front of our noses that we can lean on to get help. But a lot of times when we're going through a difficulty like that, we tend to pull back and we don't want to burden people. Maybe sometimes mothers feel guilty. What did I eat? What did I not eat? That kind of a thing. But it's really important to open ourselves to sort of look around and say, who, who in my circle, who in my social ecosystem can I depend on and can I ask? And I, and I think that's really important to do because it really can make the difference between getting through things and caving and i have seen some people cave parents mothers in particular totally don't you don't have to do it alone 
Um, we're never alone. Even when we feel like we're alone, we are, that's just uh, our thoughts, you know, our fears, like you mentioned, but the reality is we're really not alone. We're not alone. Yep. Well, Stacy, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And when we go off air, if you wouldn't mind, um, I want to get your daughter's information. I would just love to talk to her. I have a picture of her in my mind right now. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, would, I would love to interview. She sounds just extraordinary. I think she's pretty extraordinary. She's my hero. Yeah. Well, you're both my heroes. So thank you so much. Everybody go to bubblesandflashlights.com. Thank you, Dr. Meeker. Now on to my points to ponder. One, trust your gut. You know, there are many times that a parent feels something is wrong with their child, whether the child's six months old, two years old, or 15 years old, and they go and ask for help from a friend or a teacher or a doctor only to have somebody say, I think everything's okay, don't worry. But still that nagging stays in their stomach. So if that nagging doesn't go away, after you've seen your pediatrician or talked with a friend, pursue what you need to do in order to find an answer. And sometimes that answer is a diagnosis. If you don't get a diagnosis from your pediatrician, Go to another doctor. And sometimes, like Stacy did, you have to go to a specialist to find the answer. Two, advocate for your child. Navigating the medical world with a child who has a difficulty is very hard. And many times it can be overwhelming, particularly if your child has to be in the hospital. Um, you can feel intimidated with nurses and doctors running in and out. And there's a temptation to always assume that everything is fine. But it's really important that you, as a mom or dad, pay attention to what the doctors and nurses are saying. And if something doesn't make sense or it doesn't click, ask questions. I love it when parents ask questions. You need to feel that your questions are answered and your child is getting the best care possible. So if your questions aren't being answered, find a doctor who, or nurse who will answer them. Three, be proactive. It's very important with any child with a special needs, but particularly a child with a birth defect, that early on in the child's life, you reach out and find what special services are available in your community to help your child. Very often parents don't know that their child qualifies for occupational therapy or physical therapy or speech therapy. It's really important that you as a parent Talk to your pediatrician or talk to a support group for the issue that your child has and ask what services are available because these can help your child advance more quickly and will help you uh, get your questions answered and can make a huge difference in your child's future. I want to thank my guest, Stacy Mandel. To find out more about the work that she's doing, you can check out her website, Bubbles and Flashlights. So now let's recap my points to ponder. One, trust your gut. Two, advocate for your child. And three, be proactive for your child. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. 
Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening, and because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD, and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents, subscribe so you won't miss anything, and leave us a review so we know how we're doing.